Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Elizabeth and Katie talk about the Magnolia Book Awards, a Mississippi-based book award for children's and young adult books. They give a brief overview of the award itself, as well as highlight a few nominations for the 2022 awards that they've enjoyed. Stay tuned. Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to this episode of Stacks and Stories. My name is Katie. I'm normally behind the scenes, but I am going to be in front of the microphone today because I am talking with Elizabeth, one of our reference librarians, and also possibly the person in the library who knows the most about Kids Lit. And today we are going to be talking about the Magnolia Awards. Yay! Woo! So, Elizabeth, do you mind giving us just a summary of what the Magnolia Awards are? So the Magnolia Awards are a Children's Choice Awards here in Mississippi. They started back in 2010, I think, and they have grown from that first year. They just had one general children's book category to now it's pre-K through 12. And the kids get to vote on, you know, they read all the books in their age group and then they vote on which books they think are the best and they're announced every year at the Fabi Kegler Children's Book Festival in Hattiesburg. Yeah with the Magnolia Book Awards we here at MLC we have a special connection to them because there are a bunch of different partnerships that partner with the Magnolia Book Awards and we are one of them along with the Mississippi Library Association, the Mississippi Children's Museum, the Mississippi Department of Education, and as Elizabeth mentioned earlier, the Faye B. Kegler Children's Book Festival. Voting for the Magnolia Awards will open in February 22, February of 2022. However, the nominations have already been listed so that you can get your reading in ahead of time and know which one you're going to vote for for when you're going to vote. It's too bad I'm not a kid because I know exactly who I would vote for. Ooh, are you gonna are you gonna tell us in the podcast who exactly you would vote for, or is that gonna be a like bug the reference desk and make them ask you that question there sort of question? I mean, I don't mind if my fans want to call in to find out, but I I could just tell you. Yeah, here. tell us now. Our our two listeners in Germany ain't gonna be able to pay like the express call to do very very long distance. I mean, we have chat. We do have chat. <laughs> they could text. They could email us. They could email. They could fax us a question. I don't know how expensive fax rates would be from Germany, but I'm guessing very. <laughs> I bet they are. But they are. All right. So the way that we're going to do this podcast is if we talked about every single one of the books that is nominated, we would be here until the cows come home. And while I'm sure some of you are clamoring for that, like, four-hour-long, deep-dive Magnolia Book Awards podcast. We have work to do. <laughs> I I do have to say that I think that the selection committees did a really good job this year of getting a well-rounded selection of books for each category. It was a joy reading through them. Right. So how we're going to do this is we're going to go age group by age group. There are four different age groups. And like I said, while we can't talk about all of the books, we will talk about some, we'll talk about some choices, some selections. 
A full list of all the books nominated will be available in the show notes and on the Magnolia Book Awards website. Maybe even these are the ones that we think should win. Or will win. <laughs> we'll wait and see, though. Yeah, with our, well, we haven't set up our Magnolia Book Awards betting pool yet. All right, so our first category is pre-K through second grade. And uh, I can start us off with a book that I think is a very charming book in that category. It's The Camping Trip by Jennifer K. Mann. So the premise of this book is a young girl goes on her first camping trip with her cousin and her aunt. It is very cute. They have such lovely, charming illustrations. And it's pretty long for a picture book. It feels a little bit like baby's first graphic novel in some aspects. It's absolutely adorable and so, so cute. It is so charming. When when she can't sleep and they go and they have the little moment, I, I just, I, I loved it. I, w- I want to go camping. I haven't been camping in ages. Yeah, I also, I, get, I did camping all the time when I was younger because I was in Girl Scout camp up until like through through high school. So, but I haven't done it in years. And it's a book that makes you really want to go camping. It, it is. And I also love the black girl representation. Mm-hmm. Yes, our uh, protagonist, her aunt and her cousin are all black women. And it's very nice just seeing people, I don't know, not camping is just for white guys. <laughs> That's right. There's not a beer in sight in the whole picture what? book. What? No. <laughs> One of my favorites in this category was Feast of Peas by Kashmira Sheth and Jeffrey Epler. It's their second book together, and it's about two friends, Jiva and Rufji. They live in India, and Jiva has a garden full of pea plants, which is totally relatable for people here in Mississippi. We love our peas, too. So every time he's about ready to harvest his little new crop of peas he says this cute little rhyme in anticipation about how he's going to have a feast of peas and his friend roof g will come by and be like hey nice peas you got there and he's like yeah yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna harvest them in the morning it's gonna be great and then he comes out the next morning and they're gone <gasps> so ah shocker oh no so and it's just it's a cute little mystery about what happened to the peas. And then I will spoil it and say that he does eventually find out who's taken his peas and he gets to eat some. I love picture books with like little rhymes or little songs or things like that in there because like I was that child who if there was a rhyme in a picture book, I would say the rhyme every day and drive my parents up the wall. So right. <laughs> I, I love the repetitiveness of it. It's, it's very nice. So another picture book in the pre-K through second grade category that I think looks very charming is Arlo, The Lion Who Couldn't Sleep by Katherine Rayner, which to start with, that is one of the best titles of a book that I have seen like in the past six months. You know exactly what you're going to get into when you look at Arlo, The Lion Who Couldn't Sleep, because it's about Arlo, a lion who can't sleep. And fortunately, there's an owl who helps teach Arlo some tricks about mindfulness and just how to calm yourself down when you know that you should go to sleep and you really want to go to sleep, but just for some reason, your body isn't letting you go to sleep. It's got these very calming, lush, wonderful illustrations. And I just the title just brings me so much joy. (laughs) 
the title does and Arlo and I, I that one has a repeating sort of rhyme it in does, it too yeah. that is very soothing. I may need to memorize that one for when I can't fall asleep. I mean, I know Katie the librarian who can't fall asleep. The problem with that is Katie the librarian who can't fall asleep goes to bed way too late. So, <laughs> Well, so does Elizabeth the librarian. So another one of my favorites from this category is Hat Tricks. It's by Satoshi Kiramurum, who is actually a Japanese uh, author and illustrator who lived in England for a while. And um, it is all about bunnies and magic tricks and who the heck is going to come out of Hattie the Magician's hat next. It is so cute. It looks so charming. I, like, I love it so much. I will probably be gifting this one to a couple of kids. Oh, I mean, that's year. completely understandable. It looks adorable. And, like, everyone loves magic. Child Elizabeth was all about some some magic tricks mm-hmm. that she was going to wow the world with. The next category of books that we're going to talk about are tailored for readers from the third to fifth grade. So that would be readers who would be about 8 to 11, 8 to 12-ish. And the first book that I would like to recommend is Ghost Squad by Clarabel A. Ortega. So in Ghost Squad, Lucy and her best friend Sid accidentally cast a spell that awakens all sorts of ghosts. And they must team up with Sid's grandmother and Sid's grandmother's fat, chonky cat in order to help put the ghosts back to rest. They emphasize the fact that this cat is just a big ball of chunk in the cover art and in the description of the book. And as someone who lives with a fat, chonky cat, I greatly appreciate that. So Ghost Squad is a feel-good story, and it's rooted in Dominican mythology and folklore. Everyone seems to describe this book, like I've read so many reviews and read so many book copies, as like Coco meets Stranger Things. But the thing is that Stranger Things is scary. And this book is spooky, but not scary. So I kind of wonder if people are saying Stranger Things just because you've got like teenagers on a mission sort of thing, because Stranger Things is scary. That's (laughs) got to be it. It's got to be it. Stranger Things is pretty scary. It is. That Demogorgon, man, like, it would give teenage me nightmares. And, like, I like horror. (laughs) I'm I'm not a horror fan, so I struggle with Stranger Things. But Ghost Squad, not scary. Yeah, it's, there's a big difference between spooky and scary. And this book definitely hits more of the spooky vibes. Well, one of my favorites from this one has a little bit of the spooky, not really. Not really. It's Winterborn Home for Vengeance and Valor. It's by Allie Carter, who does a lot of YA. This is, I think, her first middle grade novel. But it's got all sorts of twists and turns. It's kind of a a thriller almost for third through fifth graders. April is the protagonist, and she is an Well, she's not an orphan. Her mom's totally going to come back for her someday. She has a a key that she wears around her neck that her mom left her with when she was a little kid. And she's off to this big orphanage where there's a mystery to solve and um, 
But she's not going to stay at the orphanage because her mom's going to totally come back. Well, she's totally coming back. Totally to, coming back. To get her. But This kid's not in denial or anything. In the meantime, she helps wrap up, you know, what happened to the old family that that used to live in this house. And it has lots of, like, Annie vibes, but also, like, old castle, mysterious legacy. Yeah, this seems aggressively Nancy Druids at some points. And uh, I also devoured a lot of Nancy Drew books when I was younger. <laughs> same. And uh, I got a little creeped out by Nancy Drew because people were hiding and, you know, doing dastardly yeah. deeds. And she did, she got bonked over the head like at least twice every book. So At, at least. At least. So another book that... It's a bit, it's more, it's, it's mystery, but it's not spooky mystery. It's uh, The Candy Mafia yes. by Lavi Tidhar and Daniel Duncan. So this book stars Nell Faulkner, who's our 12-year-old private detective in a city where the mayor has prohibited candy. How dare he? <laughs> and so what starts as a case to find a missing teddy bear for, like, her child mafioso client, which, that's a phrase. That ends, it ends up with her delving into the shady underworld of back alley deals, smuggling rings, all sorts of delightful film noir tropes, but run through a child-friendly lens. Like with this book, it's got enough, if you're an adult reader who's reading this book who really enjoys film noir and Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe, that sort of things, there will be references for you. But there will also be references that if you're an 8 to 12 year old who only has vague knowledge of the film noir genre, you'll be able to pick up what the book is spoofing. So if you want your kid to get into film noir, this is their gateway book. This is their gateway book. And then like wait 10 years before showing them the big sleep because they're not (laughs) going to be ready (laughs) for a while. No, no. So the last book that we're going to highlight for third through fifth grade is not a mystery at all. It is all about Cassius Clay. It's called Becoming Muhammad Ali. It's by James Patterson. Uh, This is the first James Patterson book that I have read now. Um, (laughs) How could you be a librarian and not have read one of the 20 bajillion James Patterson books we have on our shelves? I've put some of them away many many of them away I mean I can't talk I've only read his YA stuff so (laughs) (laughs) it is also by Kwame Alexander who was here the Fabi Kegler Children's Book Festival five years ago promo promo come back please we would like to see you again we would love to see you again Um, it was also illustrated by Dawood Anya Bwile but it's, it's all about Muhammad Ali as he was growing up when he was known as Cassius Clay. James Patterson writes the prose parts, which mainly focus on his fictional best friend who tells you about what's going on in his life. And then uh, Kwame Alexander does uh, bits of poetry that are interspersed, and they bounce back and forth. And the poetry is just really, really good. It's his in the now persona so I um I really really liked it yeah I love books that manage to weave together like multiple styles of writing like poetry and prose any book where you get like a letter smack dab in the middle of the book that's written by one of the characters in the book like that's my jam so I I love a letter 
So any book that manages to effortlessly blend two styles together like this book does, that's top-notch for me. Same. Same. All right. The next age group is sixth through eighth grade, which that would be, that's about middle grade-ish. That's Mm -hmm. about 12 to 15 years old. Middle grade, like just the start of YA, things like that. And this first book that I'm going to talk about is the one that I am most interested in because I love a good You Have to Survive in the Wilderness book. All of my nonfiction books are about like expeditions that have gone terribly wrong that involve people having to survive in the wilderness with like a tin of food and a pile of string. And so this book (laughs) is 96 Miles by J.L. Espin. It's about two brothers, John and Stu Lockwood, who grew up believing that they'd be able to survive everything because their dad is a doomsday prepper and always has supplies and useful items on hand. However, these kids just have a terrible day because their dad's out of town, a blackout hits town, their house gets robbed, and so they have to walk 96 miles, the 96 miles in the title, in order to get help. It's a very, it's big hatchet vibes. It's a survival story, but it's also a family story because you've got these two brothers who are looking out for each other and then also kind of learning along the way that, hmm, maybe we can depend on other people as well as ourselves. That sounds really good. I'm, I am not as much into the survivalist <laughs> stories. They make me so nervous. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, also, I think one of the reasons why I like, I read a lot of nonfiction survivalist stuff is you know how it's going to work out at the end, because if it's written by the person who's alone in the wilderness, they're going to survive in order to publish the book. And if it's written by somebody else, then it might be a little dicey. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one that I'm going to review is much, much closer to to reality. It is a nonfiction book called The Missing. It's the true story of Michael Rosen's family during World War II. This story is about Michael Rosen. He was he was born in 1946, so after the war, and when his family would talk about their family, their extended family, they would say, oh, they, we lost them in the war. And so as he got older, he decided that he wanted to know more about what actually happened to them. So he he tracked down what happened to his great aunts and great uncles during the war when they were exterminated in the Nazi death camps. He also somehow manages to tie in the current refugee crisis in so many countries And he also, this one is also a back and forth between prose and poetry. It's a really, really interesting book. Memoirs and biographies and things like that, that are written for like a younger audience, when they're really good, they're really good. Because it takes a certain type of skill to be able to tell your life story in a way that younger readers could be able to understand while also especially in this case not sanitizing it because you can't really sanitize this sort of thing right he he does a really good job of making it something that they'll want to read 
without being scary, but still informs. I highly recommend it. So the next book on my list is Black Brother, Black Brother by Jewel Parker Rhodes. In this book, 12-year-old Dante is one of the only black students at his mostly white middle school. He's constantly bullied because of that, and he ends up being suspended after the captain of the fencing team frames him for something that he didn't do. So Dante takes up fencing himself, learning from a former Olympic fencer in this very big Karate Kid vibes in order to confront his bullies and the racist structures that try to hold him down. So yeah, so you've got these Karate Kid vibes. You've also got this examination of the school-to-prison pipeline and how it negatively impacts black youth. But then also, also, you have an element where they talk about colorism because Dante's brother passes for white. So you've got all of these elements tied up together in this fictional book that also has very good, very big, fun Karate Kid vibes. (laughs) (laughs) But with fencing, not with karate. I mean, fencing, karate... (laughs) the same right Mm -hmm. only with sticks Uh, with the swords (laughs) (laughs) so the one you were talking about earlier that had the film noir vibes the next one i'm gonna talk about daring darlene queen of the screen is all about silent movies (laughs) and nesbitt the author actually teaches classes about silent films at uc berkeley the protagonist Darlene grew up making silent films. She's already sort of a silent film star in her own right. And then her family's all involved in the business. And then they stage a kidnapping that actually gets foiled by a real kidnapping. It's not terribly tropey because instead of having to save the other girl, they become friends and they save themselves. Yo, dog, I heard you like kidnapping. So we put a kidnapping in your kidnapping. (laughs) (laughs) That's a vintage meme from the early 2000s. (laughs) But yes, that sounds very much like fun. I love a good book where you've got female friendships. And I also love just daring adventures. I, I do too. So the last category of books for the Magnolia Book Awards are books targeted to 9th through 12th grade, which that's YA, that's teenagers, that's high schooler. And so these books, some of them are a little bit darker than some of the previous books. But then again, we did have a nonfiction book about relatives who went missing during the Holocaust. So dark subject matter is good for all ages question mark (laughs) i mean some books are light and fluffy and some books are dark and a lot of books are somewhere in between yes but this first one that i'm going to mention it is it's a heavy one it is a rough read there are a lot of handmaid's tale comparisons in the starred reviews so you know that that's already rough read sign number one but it is The Grace Year by Kim Liggett. So in Garner County, girls are banished when they turn 16. They're banished into the woods in order to release their magic and come home purified, ready for marriage. And that's The Grace Year, the title. And I see Elizabeth is already making a face at that concept of females <laughs> being tamed and all that stuff. Keep your magic, girls. Keep your magic, girls. 
Tierney James, whose grace year is coming up, she learns that the biggest fear might not be the dangers in the woods, but her fellow girls out there with her. It's big dystopian vibes. This one is probably also going to not entirely be ooky spooky, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are some ooky spooky vibes in here as well, because Kim Liggett won the 2018 Bram Stoker Award for Young Adult Literature for her book, The Last Harvest. Nice. So this is an author who knows how to write horror. Well, the first one I'm going to talk about in the YA category is also really tense, but it's more grounded in fact. It's called Punching the Air. It's written by E.B. Zaboy, who was a National Book Award finalist a couple of years ago, and Youssef Salam, who is one of the Exonerated Five, or the Central Park Five. So it is about a boy who likes to skateboard and paint and draw and write poetry, and he is falsely accused of a crime and convicted and sent to juvenile detention. And it is a story of resilience and hope. There's a lot of Maya Angelou references in there, as well as other other references to sort of more adult fiction and nonfiction. I really liked in the author's note that E.B. Zavoy, Zavoy points out that both she and Yusef, they listened to a lot of hip-hop growing up. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, hip-hop was really message-driven. And you can really see it in this book. And in, in because it's a novel in verse, you can really feel that vibe. You know, with a lot of our picks, you could definitely... I'm already in my head, like, constructing a class curriculum based around some of our picks because (laughs) unintentionally we've picked a lot of books that work really well together because they're diving into some of the same themes of, well, some of the same stylistic themes of, like, verse and prose or different types of writing blending together in the same book, but also thematic themes like injustice, colorism, Um, the police state, things like that. Right. All right. And I've got to say, I used to think that I did not like novels in verse. I think it's really just that I don't like not good ones. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a good one. Yeah. So the last book that I'm going to be talking about is The Inheritance Game by Jennifer Lynn Barnes. This is the first book in a trilogy. So if you get hooked on this one, guess what? You've got two more soon. But high school student Avery Grams is surprised to learn that she is set to inherit the fortune of Tobias Hawthorne, a billionaire who she's never met. So in order to inherit the fortune, she's got to move into Hawthorne House, a sprawling secret passage, very Winchester House vibes because there's codes and riddles and secret rooms and there are also the four Hawthorne grandsons who just got cut out of the will and aren't all that happy about this rando coming in so you've got big knives out vibes big westing game vibes and as that is one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite books it's very much like hey katie here's something that you really like all wrapped up on a platter It's a fast-paced, fun mystery, and again, it's the first in a trilogy, so 
don't expect everything to get neatly wrapped up at the end. (laughs) (laughs) So my last book is You Should See Me in a Crown. It is by Leah Johnson, who's from Indiana, and it's set in Indiana. This is for Shelley, one of our consultants here who loves books about Indiana. This book was a Stonewall Honor book. It was Reese's first YA book that she recommended when she started rec- having YA reads. Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Reese's the candy. Uh, yes, they do not recommend books, although they should. Get out of that company. But this is a queer prom romance. So the main character, she's poor, she's black, and she really wants to go to to college so that she can learn how to, well, so she can become a doctor and learn how to eradicate sickle cell anemia. And then her scholarship that she thought she was going to get, it falls through, and she needs to find a new source of funding, which at her school they have a scholarship wrapped up with being prom queen. That did not happen at my high school, I can tell you that much. Me neither. (laughs) I would have been much more interested in prom queen if that had been a thing. As it was, I couldn't tell you who was prom queen when I was in high school. I have no idea. I can tell you who I went to prom with, but I don't remember off the top of my head who was prom queen or prom king. Well, this is learning about being your yourself and being proud of who you are no matter what. It's just a sweet, sweet romance. I, I really, really liked it. It looks so cute. It, it is very, very sweet. So, and that's my, my last recommendation, but, but you should read all of these you books. You should read all of these. This is a really good crop of finalists. This is, if we didn't mention a book on the podcast, it's not because we don't like the book or anything like that. It's because we don't want this to be four hours long. But if your child would like to participate, all they have to do is read all the books in their category. The books are listed in the podcast notes. Yep. And then you can also find them on the Mississippi Children's Museum's webpage. Which will also be listed in the podcast notes. Nice, nice. They, they do all of that, and then in February, they can vote for their favorite. And I know that February is coming right up there, but if you don't get the chance to finish all your books before voting closes this year... That's okay. Now you know the Magnolia Book Awards exist. You can go in there and read all the books when the nominations drop next year. That's right. Okay, well, it's been just super lovely chatting children's books in YA and middle grade with you today, Elizabeth. We should talk about children's books more often. (laughs) Elizabeth has just volunteered herself to be on the podcast again. But yes, and thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, and we're just going to wrap stuff up here. Have a good rest of the day, y'all. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.